0: This up um, because actually Jason Dominguez chose the title tonight, so I didn't. As the tech guys, I surrendered the title. So, uh, but tonight's title is the mother-in-law of Peter. (laughs) So um, now this is online, so I won't say any more than that. Okay, we'll (laughs) we'll we'll leave it alone. Um, But um, I thought I found I found some humor in that. I I also want to before because I won't get a chance. Connie. You sitting, know, Connie and Bill, you know, hey, before you, when, when church is over tonight, can I talk to you just real quickly? I'm sorry, you know, you know not, you're not in trouble. By the way, I, you know, you don't care, you like you, like, you worry about it, I don't care. Um, Everybody, whenever the pastor wants to see somebody, immediately think, oh, I'm in trouble. Um, and by the way, I, while I was, I was so disappointed Sunday night that I wasn't able to be here, um, what you and uh, Anna May and some of the, I don't know who else was on your team, but uh, the the Swafford ladies—it just—if you're watching, online, we have this some um, amazing children's ministry here at Open Door. I—I I, I mean, I say it; I'm, I'm, I'm honest. I mean, yeah, do we have the biggest, best building in town? No, but ours is paid for. I do like that. Um, but we just have some wonderful children's ministry here. I—I I, I, my kids. I was like, man, I'd, this is where my kids would be. They just—they're learning about the Lord, and they're having a. A good time and learning that God is not boring and can be fun. And uh, I know it took a lot of effort, at least to look like it, from the pictures I saw. So thank you for that. And then, um, I want to thank, I see Mike's here and Bill. Um, I was driving in tonight, and uh, I just appreciate these two guys take care of the lawn week after week. And, they, you know, they're not spring pups, um, but they mow in this crazy heat. And trust me, I was. I told Jenny, I said, the, the, the grass looks better. I mean when, I, when we first got here it was one of my first pet peeves about the front. you know we had used to have uh, Bradford pear trees, but of course, they all blew down since all over the years, but there was no hardly grass out there at all because no one ever raked up the leaves and all that. It drove me crazy, so Brother Mike and I started a project years ago. Get grass out front you know now we 're about to bulldoze it all and get <laughs> but uh, um, but appreciate you two guys and the work you put in. Um, week after week. All right, uh, I'm. You guys, we talked a lot tonight in prayer time and that. So I'm. I'm a little reduced in my time. That's okay though. I'll just talk faster. I'm good at that. Uh, Mark chapter number one in your Bibles tonight for life of Messiah, life of Messiah. Mark chapter number one and verse twenty nine. You remember in our in our storyline with the life of Messiah, um, Jesus has just uh, attended his first synagogue service there in Capernaum and has read the scriptures. And the Bible tells us that he read it differently. He read with authority. And then he demonstrated that authority by casting out a demon. The demon wants to identify him, and Jesus rebukes him from doing so. He doesn't want to be uh, no endorsements from the demons, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't want that. Matter of fact, I, was, I wrote in my notes, and it interesting today that some ministries seem like they that, that all they want is endorsements from the demons because that's what they advertise about, how they cast out everybody's demons, you know, and kind of interesting. Jesus kind of wanted to keep that on the, 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 the on the low, you know. He didn't want that, and uh, but at any rate, tonight tonight's event that we're going to study and read about um, is recorded in all three of what we call the Synoptic Gospels. Now, synoptic basically is a, a word that comes from the word synonym, and uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tend to re- cover the same kind of material, and tonight we're going to mainly be in Mark as our primary Mark gives the most information, but we are going to look over at Matthew, which is in Matthew 8, and Luke's account is in Luke chapter 4, if you find that interesting. If you have your harmony, you'll have all three columns right there, and you can just look at it all at one time. Um, but it, it, tonight, I hope to show you a little bit on again the the uniqueness of Scripture. Sometimes people say, "Why do we have to have four gospels?" Well, there's I think I think God knew what He was doing. If I can go stretch a little bit, I think God knows what He's doing, and I I, I hope tonight to show you a little bit of the beauty of of all the gospel accounts as they uh, give us certain information. Now, this is one with a mother-in-law that I would have not. Guess that all three synoptic gospels would have shared this story, but they do, and it, it, it's interesting. So uh, Mark chapter number one, pick things up, uh, verse number 29, and forthwith, in other words, right after this events at Capernaum at the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and forthwith when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And so we're told a couple interesting things here, but just to begin with, it says, and forthwith, Now, Greek was a strong word that basically means immediately. You know, right after the synagogue service, it tells us they go immediately to Peter's house. And by the way, notice it's Peter and Andrew's house. Usually we're told it's Peter's house. It's Peter's house. Now, he, I think, was the older brother. I believe so. Um, But... Peter and Andrew apparently both owned it. Now, that led me to think, you know, they came from a fishing family. Maybe this was a home that's owned by the family fishing business. Uh, they're located in Capernaum. We don't know. But I, you know, I thought that was an interesting little detail there that uh, these two brothers had uh, co-ownership of this. But at any rate, the Bible tells us when they got out of the service at, at, at the synagogue, immediately they go to the house now I'm always intrigued when I read something like that and say now why is Jesus feel and the disciples feel so impressed to do this immediately you know why do you think they went immediately to to Peter's house anybody can't find that you know why, why did the scripture again I'm one of these literal word for word kind of guys and God put it in the scripture there and tells us that hey immediately after off they go over to Peter's house now why would they do that yeah, believe it to another pastor to say, to say that. Um, um, I, I thought to myself, what do most believers today do immediately following the Sunday morning service? Eat. And uh, so, you know, you're all thinking all this spiritual stuff, you know. Well, maybe it is. But in Jewish, again, the Jewish perspective that it was customary after the synagogue service, specifically on the Sabbath, that there was a special Sabbath day meal so that 's why they were going immediately there, following they were going over there simply to eat. Now I also thought it interesting if if all the other disciples apostles were there with them at the synagogue service, but only the the set of brothers, you know Peter and Andrew and James and John are going I wonder where, what, what happened to the other guys? You know did they have to go to White Castle or something um you know <laughs> I just, you know we don't know for sure but i I find these real life things because i I can tell you how it would work in the Baptist Church is somebody would run into somebody else out in the restaurant somewhere and say, "Why didn't they invite me and there would be offenses and people would make a on why they were invited and they weren't invited, and we don't really know um but you know, I guess you can walk away tonight and say, "Hey, when you want to have lunch after church over at your house you 're not you 're not uh, expected to invite all the apostles okay you don 't have to bring them all over maybe you just want to bring a couple couple brothers i don 't know but I, I found that interesting um, so that 's kind of our our context for tonight or the situation, but notice what happens when we get into the house verse thirty but simon 's wife but simon 's wife 's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. So one of the family members, when Jesus comes, they get ready of the table, is not there. And here we're introduced to Peter's mother-in-law. That's why, hence the title of tonight's Bible study, uh, Peter's uh, the mother-in-law of Peter. Now, the first obvious deduction I would have here is, I would think, if forgive me if I'm reaching too far here, but I think I can conclude from this that Peter was married. Right? Simple enough? I mean, there's a giant... I don't know what I want to call it. I don't want to call him a denomination. There's another faith view that believes that Peter was some kind of celibate man and pope. Well, <laughs> it's apparently had a wife. Now, I know that I've, I've witnessed to Catholic people, and sometimes I want to say, well, you got a faulty translation. I'm like, no, no, we don't. No, we don't. We don't have a faulty translation. Um, you have a faulty translation, uh, a flawed one. But no, ours is pretty good and, and can withstand textual criticism. But um, that you know that's a, that that kind of kind of creates a problem there for that position, doesn't it? You know that that's why in in that faith that the priests have to be celibate. You know, and we we'll see how well that works out, don't we? When you tell men that are, yeah, yeah, I don't want to give, no more need to say. I think you can fill in the blanks there. But Peter Peter was married, and, and I wrote in my notes, I mean, I wrote in my notes, who wants a mother-in-law without a wife? <laughs> I mean, if he wasn't married, I mean, that's the only other option you have here is that Peter wasn't married, and he was celibate and he just somehow had a mother-in-law. And I thought, who would want a mother-in-law without a wife? Now, I would. You know, my mother-in-law, if she's watching tonight, you know, i I. I tell people all the time, I I married my wife first for the grandparents, for, you know, grandma and grandpa. That would be my mother-in-law's mom and dad. And I said, but, you know, her family, especially her mom, no offense, Dad, but mom cooked everything for us and made stuff for us. But I have a wonderful mother-in-law, and I hope you have that experience, but I certainly have had that. And I don't know how Peter's was, apparently, because she was living there in the house. Oscar, you can understand that one, Um, living there in the house with him. (laughs) I'm not know if there's anything else there. But um, we're also told that, that, you know, there she was laying there bedridden with a fever, and, you know, uh, Mark tells us that she lay sick of a fever. But if you go to Luke's account in Luke chapter 4 and verse number 38, of course, Luke was the physician, and he gives us a little more detail. He says that she was taken, quote, with a great fever. She was taken with a great fever. Now, when you consider Luke's um, the flavor on it, we, we see that... that uh, somehow that this fever came upon her relatively suddenly i mean i would defer from this that she'd been relatively healthy and all of a sudden this fever came on her uh some recent time ago but it had been there a little bit and it wasn't letting go it was it it was unusually severe it was a great fever now the greek tense again would indicate that it was a kind of thing that it was a chronic illness that she came on her and it just stayed and as somebody who knows a little bit about those chronic illnesses, can I say that I really hate those chronic illnesses? They, they, they just continue to rob from you and take from you and the pain and the, the issues that go on. And, and that's the situation that, that, that she finds herself in. Now, it's interesting here again how we see all three gospel writers tell us of this event. And, and again, you got to remember, each writer from a Jewish Middle Eastern perspective is not writing all this just to be chronological necessarily. They, they write with a theme in mind. And we see their, their unique perspective. For example, here Mark tells us that, you know, here she is laying there sick in the bed. And, and the Bible says, anon they tell him of her. You know, I love, don't you like that word anon? I kind of like that Greek word, kind of interesting word. That's an old English word that, I don't know, anybody use that? You know, let us go, let us go to the longhorn in anon. And anon we should go, I don't know. Uh, But basically it kind of has the idea of in passing, you know, that they kind of are mentioning this information to him. You know, hey, yeah, by the way, Peter's mother, she's been sick these last few weeks, you know, and they kind of mention it to him. Now, um, but if you go to Luke's account, in Luke chapter four, Luke tells us that that they besought him for her. Luke gives us a, a perspective that these guys are going, Oh, you know, they're they're much more urgency, much more of a begging him to to, to to do something about it. Now, when you get to Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter eight and verse number fourteen, Matthew simply tells us that he, Jesus, saw Peter's wife's mother laying laying there ill. Now, when you put all three of them together, because I thought about this for a while, and I kept rolling this around in my head, and I thought, this is interesting. If you kind of put them in order of the, 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 the most likely order, I think Jesus comes into the house and sees Peter's mother-in-law maybe laying there on the couch or in the lazy boy recliner, and obviously she's sick, and at that point, the, the disciples fill him in anon. They say, oh yeah, you know, the mother-in-law's been really sick. And, and then I see with these disciples that moment where they realize wait a minute I got a sick mother-in-law here and I got the person here that can heal her why didn't I think of that sooner now this is early in Jesus ministry we don't know but from my perspective we are told that from Luke's account that that's when they start saying hey She's really sick. We're really worried about her, and we have seen very clearly, Lord Jesus, what you're capable of. And they begin to beg him, say, "Hey, Lord, would you heal her? Would you do? Would you, would you make her better?" And I think in all three of those things, we just kind of get the, the the scenery of what transpired from three different perspectives. Now, I thought it was an interesting or a good example of how maybe we. Live our Christian lives and bring the things that we want from God or our needs you now first off, do you think Jesus was surprised to find out that the mother in law was sick you know if you in his deity side, he certainly would have known i don 't think they said oh yeah she 's been sick and jesus oh you don 't say um no I, he 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 probably knew that just as God knows all the needs in your life and in my life, he knows the things that are going on and um, often. Sometimes we don't even say much about it except in passing. I have been guilty of this in my own life. But once we get the eyes of faith, it leads us to begin to beg God to do what he can do. In other words, if, if I really believe that God could take care and change circumstances, maybe I would pray more intently. Maybe the reason we don't pray that intently is our faith is not all that great. Um maybe we're living life like the disciples were and they were busy at the they were busy at the synagogue service and they were busy taking care of the needs of the Lord they were serving the Lord and and are a need in their own circle this mother-in-law Oh yeah oh Jesus did we did we did we forget to mention to you you know oh yeah she's been sick for a while You know I don't know, I, as you all know my principle, I try not to get on Peter too much because he's really one of my heroes. A matter of fact, probably of the, of the apostles, my personal favorite, I like Peter because he made some mistakes. He made some big mistakes, and yet God used him powerfully. But I don't know what Peter was thinking, but I'm like, now maybe, maybe, maybe Peter's mother-in-law and Peter weren't on the best terms. I don't know. But I would have thought that maybe G- Peter would have been bugging Jesus to do this a long time ago. Remember, we just studied how the, 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 the servant, uh, the Roman uh, official came and wanted the son to be healed and said, you just have to say the word and he'll be healed, you know. Peter saw that happen. He goes, hey, why don't you do that for my mother-in-law? But for whatever reason, he doesn't until the light comes on and they're like, oh, oh Jesus could heal her. Oh, that's Jesus, which, you, you know, and, they, and we find that there's this passion about it. Now, I wrote in my notes, point of order here is God's will always to heal us in this life. I mean, if, if it is, and I know there are denominations that believe, you know, faith healers, oh, it's always, you know, and I'm like, well, it didn't work for the Apostle Paul. He was a pretty good Christian. And God chose in his, his sovereignty to not heal Paul. He said, my grace is going to be sufficient. And then I think about, you know, the uniqueness of this situation. And I think oftentimes maybe we don't consider it enough, but as we're going to see as this culminates into the unpardonable sin, how all this comes together, the the accountability. You know, this is God in the flesh there. Now, if Jesus in the flesh showed up tonight here, how would we respond to that? Obviously, there'd be worship, but in, in terms of our needs... Might you ask him for something, maybe? Now, I ask myself the question, you know, when Jesus was there you know, in person and we're going to study, he didn't heal everybody even in his own personal ministry. Sometimes he'd leave an area where he was in the middle of a great healing and things are going on and then he'd leave. The next thing it tells him, he's leaving. But in this dispensation we live, we know when we're saved, we have the Holy Spirit of God within us and and um I think sometimes we don't pray with the fervency that we ought to because our faith is weak. And sometimes when God doesn't answer the way we want, we get discouraged, and instead of then pivoting to God's grace, we pivot to disappointment, and we pivot to well, God's not listening. Uh, God never does what I ask. You know, I've, I've I, and I don't, I don't know why you know, God may or may not do, but I do know that he's working out his purposes for his glory in each of our lives. And I have to believe that. Because if I don't, then I, I guess I'd get pretty angry at God. Well, you know, why'd you heal this person over here and not this person over here? But I get really passionate about today where there's whole denominations that Sell this they they prey on people 's dreams and their hopes, say, Oh, you come here, and you 're going to get healed, really um, little known fact, call me a skeptic, you know um and at the same time, I will tell you that I have seen God heal people, but it 's never. I, at least in my own ministry, maybe it's my, maybe it's me, I'll put that caveat out there, but it's never been, we've had to have some big public to-do. It's been a healing in somebody's living room. It's been a healing in a waiting room. It's been a healing, you know, I, it, it hasn't been, oh, look at us. Uh, I, 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 it just concerns me. So people say, do you believe God's done?" Yes, I do but I also know that sometimes God's answer is I'm bringing you home and one day because I live you'll live also and I'm okay with that but we should pray we can and we should pray for our desires and our needs especially like these men they're praying for others they're saying hey help her help her at any rate, um, I'm, I'm going to stop there. Verse 31. We're going to be done tonight because out of time. We prayed long night. Imagine how bad we were praying. Um, verse 31. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. So once again, we're going to see the actions of Jesus. I put in my notes in 3D, um, maybe 3G because it's three Gospels. Uh, using all three Gospel writers, and again, we see a very beautiful picture from these perspectives. For example, Mark's theme here, if you know the, the Gospel of Mark, Mark's theme is basically Jesus, the servant of man. And what do we see? Mark records that Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Kind of like someone like myself. Some of the needs I have. Sometimes I have to look at Jenny and go, "Help me up," <laughs> you know. <laughs> some of are in there, you know. And uh, my wife is so gracious to come over and sometimes, you know, help me up. Or sometimes when I'm done, sometimes it's helped me get down. <laughs> that 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 too. Um, but it's the actions of a servant. Come over there and put put hands and help help up. Wow. Now Matthew in his account. If you know anything about Matthew, you know Matthew's theme is Jesus the King. And uh, in Matthew chapter eight and verse number fifteen, Matthew tells us Jesus just quote touched her hand and the fever left her. That all the king had to do, and all the king did in a very kingly fashion, maybe you know, like with his little with the little scepter, well, you know, just boom, except touch, touch her other hand, boom, and the fever leaves her. What authority? What power? But I think of all the descriptions, the one that got me the most as a matter of fact, I thought to myself, one of these days maybe I'll write a sermon on this. You know, I come up with some really great sermon insights as I'm studying life of Messiah. I love it. Um, but Luke's account, Luke says, and of course, you know, Luke's theme of the gospel is Jesus, the Son of Man, and very focused on the, the humanity of Jesus. And Luke says in his account that, quote, Jesus, he stood over her and rebuked the fever. He stood over her and rebuked the fever. Now, you talk about the ideal man. Now, at first when I say this, you may say, well, that's kind of negative connotation that, you know, imagine Jesus, he came and he stood over her then you're not understanding the context and you're bringing your biases into, into play. This is not a, a, a negative connotation. And I know some men, unfortunately, that the way they manage their home and the way they manage their marriage is they make sure that, that the wife knows that he stands over her. That I'm the big, bad, tough guy and you will do what I say. And then she punches him in the nose and he cries and runs away. You know, um, you know get out from underneath that bed and fight me like a real man. You know, one of those kind of scenarios, you know. Um... But that attitude is very pervasive uh especially inside some types of Christianity, you know that oh the man, I'm the boss and I'm the leader, and I stand over my wife you know that that that's not when 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 we see Jesus standing over this this woman, he's not doing it in an abusive superiority demonstration, he's standing over her. In a position of protection and defense, protecting and defending one of whom he cared so deeply, and then the Bible and Luke tells us that he rebuked the fever, so we know that all this probably is happening at one time where he touches her hand and he 's speaking these you know this 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 word of authority and and he rebukes this fever. I love how the the, the, the verbiage there is very confrontational. That here's the problem, the, this, this illness that's bringing this, on this dear lady, and Jesus comes along and he stands over her in protection and he confronts the problem. Oh boy, see where I could preach a sermon? How our country needs some men that will take their role as God intended, not to demonstrate oh I'm the boss and you do what I say but to have the attitude of protection over people they care about and then when there is a problem to confront it. What I find is most men are cowards they are men don't like confrontation nobody likes confrontation i believe it or not even my personal i don't really like confrontation but you know what bless god sometimes it's necessary even in keeping the peace around the church sometimes guess what confrontation's going to happen if you hang around here you know that sometimes if there's an issue it has to at some point be confronted can't just put your head in the sand and say oh or say oh i'm the boss just lay there woman you know <laughs> i don't know what you want to do yeah uh, i this picture Of the ideal man. And all right, what would happen if Christian men would stand over their wives and families and over the weak and the sick? What if men were willing to confront the issues with powerful faith? Oftentimes, when it comes to dealing with issues, as Jesus rebukes this fever, he understood the bigger ramification here, he understood the root issue. And oftentimes in our human relationships and men oftentimes and humans oftentimes, we want to deal with all the symptoms. Oh, you're this and you're that. No, the root issue is a root of bitterness. The the root issue is is envy and jealousy. And Jesus confronts it. And the ideal godly man protects those he loves and the weak, and he's not afraid to confront The problem. Now, lastly, notice all of them speak, all the gospel accounts tell us that when he speaks and touches all this, the fever immediately leaves. Uh, You know, I, 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 again, I wish, and I don't understand why other than faith and grace, but God doesn't choose to physically heal all of us in this life. Sometimes he doesn't. But what he does do every single time is there's a spiritual healing because as the mother-in-law had a fever, let me take a little liberty here and say I think in some ways we can see that as a picture of sin because there wouldn't have been ever a fever. There never would have been a problem if it wasn't for original sin. All of it goes back to a a, a root issue of a sin problem and of us as humanity. The Bible says we all have a fever in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all got this spiritual... And aren't you glad that, that the Lord Jesus Christ came and... Delivered us from sin that separated us from God, and because Jesus died on a cross and took my place on, on on that cross and took my sin, and then offers me His His perfectness that I am spiritually healed. And when we come to faith in Christ, as I saw somebody posted on Facebook the other day, you know you don't have you don't receive eternal life the moment you die. You receive eternal life the moment you believe. And so we are already, no matter what your health issue is here today, whether you have wisdom teeth problems or whether you have, you know, neurological problems or whatever your problems are, you know, we're as good as healed in in the sense of in the standing of God because there's an empty tomb where Jesus says, you know, I've conquered sin and death. And we know that one day there's going to be a a physical resurrection of all those who believe in him unto life eternal that, that, that I'm good whether God chooses to let me live 60 years here, 70 years here, 80 years here, whatever, that there is a day coming of ultimate healing. And I'm so thankful that every single time a sinner with a fever, (laughs) Jesus comes along and they they say, yeah, Lord, I believe in Jesus. Well, every single time it works. Healed. But each account, I want to end tonight with this. Each account that tells us about Peter's mother-in-law when she's healed, every single one also tells us this information, that after she was healed, the Bible says she, quote, ministers unto them. Now, again, Luke being the most precise, Luke gives us another word. He says, and immediately she began to minister unto them. She arose, ministered. She immediately got busy serving the Sabbath meal and serving others. Now, the Greek word here for serving or ministering is the word from which we get the word deacon. Don't you love that? Deacon. Mm. Basically, what Peter's mother-in-law, I guess you could call her a female deacon. There is the Bible mentions some deaconesses, and they say people make a big office. So I say, no. She was a woman who was a servant. And she got busy deaconing. Deaconing—is that, that a good word? I, I made that up in my notes. You know, she got busy deaconing. She—it it does not say. I want you to notice this. It does not say she began to run the whole house. Does not say that she demands Peter turn over the house checkbook to her. Doesn't say that she demanded of Jesus that Jesus—Jesus, Jesus, you worry about spiritual things, and I got physical things. Mm-mm-mm-mm. She served tables. Hmm, where do we see that about deacons? Isn't that in Acts chapter 6? What did the deacons do? Did Did they have a board? No, 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 no. If I remember right, they went and helped the widows and they served tables. They helped the most vulnerable of that society. They had a heart for people in need and they were willing to serve. And we in America and the Western have it all backwards. We want to elevate deacons to this some kind of power position. When what is it that Jesus said that who's the greatest in the kingdom? The servant of all. See how Jesus' way of thinking is 180. And we have it so wrong in the Western church, the American church. Somebody who's a deacon, they say, well, what do you mean? We got to make sure they're all this and that so they can make all the big decisions of the church. No. No. In Jesus' economy, Jesus said, if I'm going to give them the title of, a, of, a, of the servant, they need to be a person of great character to have such the privilege to serve tables to the weakest among us. Ooh, that's good. Flag it, you know, put that in the thing, make, it, make a clip off of that. I'll get people mad at me about it. But you know what? When it comes to what deacons are, it's the same idea. Same word, same idea. And all believers, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, tonight you've been healed from sin. We've been raised to walk in newness of life. And now it's time to serve in the house with other believers like Andrew, James, and John. And if you know anything about Andrew, James, and John, and let's throw Peter in there as well, these guys could be annoying, irritating, presumptuous, selfish. Right? Kind of like people in here tonight and people watching She got up and started serving imperfect people in the house with other believers. Hmm, where do you do that in this era? I think it's called the local church. You know, one of the things as a pastor that's really discouraging at times is sometimes we won't hear as a pastor, you won't hear from somebody for a long time until all of a sudden there's a problem until all of a sudden the test results come back and now boy they, they want to see me or Pastor Danny and they want to talk to us now they want to meet us tomorrow where, where, where have you been the last four years and then sometimes people have these issues and as we ought to do and I want to be a person of mercy and grace and we pray and I, I, there's been times where we've prayed over somebody's circumstance or something and we pray and we pray and we pray and maybe over a period of time or whatever. Eventually, for what God chooses to answer that, that prayer the, the way we desired. That all of a sudden you get that new job or you get, you, know, you get relief from some health issue or some relational, whatever it is, and all of a sudden, it, it, financially, there's a big one, you know, all of a sudden God puts our finances back on, on steady, you know, prosperous ground. And you know what? I find many times, once God does that, where are they? Poof. Gone. We get what we want. We get delivered, and instead of getting busy serving others, we pick it up and use it for ourselves. Now, I I know I've been told, and probably told again. You say, "Does that does that discourage you, Pastor?" Yes, yeah, sometimes it does. But I will also tell you this: as we go through the life of Messiah and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, He heals a lot of people remember the 10 lepers how many of them came back one when when we as a church or you as an individual help somebody and you do the right thing and you show love and you show mercy and grace even maybe where it's not deserved from a human perspective and then what you get for all your time and prayer over that person and all the investment you give in that person is then they take the good that God brings into their life and they use it for themselves and they walk away. You know, I guess if there's, if nothing else, you can say, maybe there's not a time when we're more like Jesus than at that moment. So instead of getting mad and bitter at that person and saying, you know, it doesn't mean what they're doing right, but you know what? As Paul wrote, I, I, he, they don't work for me. I, I'm not judging another man's servant. They're God's servants, not mine. But maybe that's a time where we can say, you know, it really hurts. But maybe there's not a better way to demonstrate the grace and mercy of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ than even at those times. But Peter's mother-in-law, got to give her a pretty good mother-in-law. You know, she got sick. Got healed, and once she got healed, she got up making her some mashed taters with butter. And I picture she probably had some ribeyes out on the grill and brought them in to the guys. And you know, I know they were fishermen, but they knew they knew well enough not to eat fish. They knew. And uh, she got busy helping other people. So hey, it's uh, all of us who've been healed. Let's get busy helping other people. Amen. I hope you enjoyed tonight's Bible study. We'll pick things up next week, Lord willing, and uh, Lord willing, we'll see you all Sunday. I don't think we have, do we have anything going on this weekend? Is this a weekend of events or anything? Pastor Danny or Jen or Rebecca or anybody else who knows anything? I don't think so. I think it's a pretty quiet weekend, but pray for those who are traveling this week. And this is, we get to this time of the year and everybody goes, oh, I got my last couple weekends before school starts and people go, they go back out to the beach like the Wagners and, you know, camping and, uh, but Then again, I think about going camping and sleeping in there. Uh, no, I'll stay. I'll stay with my Craftmatic bed. You know. Uh, all right. Well, let me close in prayer, and uh, we'll see uh, later. Lord Jesus, thank you for the teaching tonight. Thank you for the, the just the everyday story and life events that uh, that Your Word gives us that make application in our own lives. God help all of us who are Your children that we've come to faith in You. I pray. That we'd be about uh, serving other people, about serving tables, and um, recognizing that uh, we've been healed. Uh, Lord, thank you for families. Thank you for each marriage that's represented here, and the families, uh, every job that's represented. Uh, God, I praise. We had our separate ways now. That you'd walk with us. Uh, help us to walk in faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. Thank you. I will we'll see y'all later. And uh, men from the, that I've asked to meet with me will be over here in this other. In Brother Brock's room, five minutes. Yeah, DT.